0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster in current times, as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Chaloner, and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Pete Muswell. Pete is a man of many roles. He is the owner-principal of the phone number testing company in City Fringe, for starters. He's also an active consultant with JT. International Partnership Limited, Business Development Director at Eldon's sparkley Solicitors, and Deputy Chairman of UKIP. Pete, welcome to the programme, and it's great to have you on the air with us on this fine day. Thanks so
1: much, Scott. It was a real pleasure to uh, to be invited.
0: It's a real pleasure having yourself um, on the programme with us as well, Pete. Now, the purpose of this discussion is to really understand your take on leadership. So if we take that word in isolation, what does that word leader actually mean to you and how does it resonate?
1: It's very difficult to be a natural leader. There are there seem to be two schools of thought um, that I can make out. There are those who believe that um, there is such a thing as a natural leader And there are others um, like the senior trainer at JTIP who uh, was was the ex-head of training uh, at at the Foreign Office um, who's been the the chap that I've been doing a lot of work for as a consultant for the last few years. And he trains um, leaders on change management and how to get the best out of your your workforce. And he believes that you can teach leadership skills. And I have to say, you know, I agree with him. Um, So for me, a a leader is somebody who will learn from his mistakes, listen to others, um, and basically work as the team, but understanding that that team does need clear leadership. You need to set goals, you need to set targets. If you don't set targets, how do you know when you've arrived at where you wanted to go? Um, So a leader is somebody that has to have the vision. And I think that um, over the years, uh, I've learned that um, it's better to be inclusive and take people with you, carry mm-hmm. them with you um, rather than lay down law. There are some people who have that narcissistic streak that seems to go with many leaders um, who believe that, you know, everybody follow me, you know, I'm right. And, and this is the way to do it. And we'll and brook no uh, disagreement. Um, I'm not one of those chaps, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in trying to lead, but, but, Sticking with the consensus, you know, I mean, there's no harm in having uh, having a vision, uh, but you need to have a sounding board on which to, you know, bounce your ideas and make sure that you're not barking up the wrong tree. It right?
0: And that's why people are so very important and taking people with you is absolutely vital as a leader, as you've rightly uh, said there, Pete. And yeah, I think. As part of that, um, people management becomes very important um, in regards to uh, leadership, uh, doesn't it? And being able to adapt that approach to fit with different personalities and be able to manage them.
1: Yeah. No, it's true. We've got um, a whole range of, of, of um, well, you've given me a very, very kind uh, introduction and, and, and covered off you know, many of the, the, the areas in which I'm involved. Um, but I, I mean, you know, back many many years ago, when I was in the Territorial Army for 16 years, um, which I think I failed to mention to you earlier. But um, one of one of the proudest achievements of my life was when, as a young um, private in the Royal Signals, I was in an airborne signals regiment. Um, I, in order to uh, gain a promotion, I had to attend a detachment commander's course, which every uh, wannabe junior NCO has to has to attend. Um, and I, the, the, one of the proudest moments of my life was uh, when I was um, selected to be the top student uh, on, my, on my detachment commander's course. And it wasn't necessarily that I had the highest score academically. Um, there was another young lady in, in, in the regiment who'd beaten me by a few points. But um, afterwards, uh, our Sergeant Major said, it boils down to this, Jack. Who would you want to lead you into battle? And you know, I was extremely proud, you know, to, to have won that accolade. And um, I suppose, really, that's where I learned, um, or that's where I got the foundation of my leadership skills. Uh, you can't be the British Army for teaching uh, people and getting the best out of people. And I think that that's what a good leader must do. You must be able to spot talent. And if not talent, then you must be able to spot potential. And that's certainly something that uh, the Territorial Army taught me. So, um, and then and then later in life, you know, as I've gone on, I've started my own business, I've, I've built up a sales team, I've been involved in, in uh, various things. I mean, the, the work that I've done with um, JT International Partnership, that was all in security, um, basically training foreign policemen and intelligence agencies how to use technology, because that's my background, um, how to use technology to track and apprehend um, terrorists. Uh, and other transnational criminals. So I've worked, you know, across um, across the world. Frankly, um, very, very interesting work. But part of that role was to spot talent, uh, nurture it, train it, and then leave them um, fully trained to run their own uh, training organisation. So, you know, that was part of what I've what I've done. And um, uh, you know, the the, the whole ethos of training is to is to really make yourself as a trainer to make yourself redundant um so you know running training for trainers courses um but really looking out for leaders or potential leaders and 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 that's really uh, been something that i've really enjoyed doing throughout my career
0: Mm, i think um the focus on potential there uh, peter is really really important because you said earlier it's difficult to um Really, pick out natural-born leaders. Leadership is something that we can develop throughout life, and it's yes. about identifying yes. those raw qualities that—that that motivation, that drive, if you will, isn't it? More than anything,
1: indeed. Yes, indeed. And,
0: that... Sorry, um, I ahead. was just about to say, um, if we think about maybe some of those um individuals who've maybe had a real influence um on yourself in your career um as well, Peter, are there any people who really stick out either from your time in the forces or your time within business?
1: Well, I mean, if, if I if I sort of wax lyrical uh, in the political world for a moment. Um, I started out life as a a young kid from a broken home, but I was given the opportunity of an apprenticeship uh, with British Telecom, to whom I will forever be grateful. Um, Having come from a broken home, I'd left school with very, very uh, poor academic achievement. And for me, it's always been about being able to spot raw talent and, and, I, and, and I'm forever grateful for BT for, for for spotting that I had something, you know, that I was a bright kid but I just academically hadn't had all of the opportunities that uh, one hopes one might have had um, and so for me you know, I developed my skills there at BT um, and my first day on the job though, I clearly remember, um, I was sent to the tool stores to draw my my uh, issue toolkit and I remember very clearly the chap saying to me, Here you are, young man, he said, Um, here's your tools, join the union and vote Labor. <laughs> and <laughs> I know it sounds incredible, but that actually happened to me. And so I did. I joined the union and you know, I voted Labour for the next four or five years. Um, because I was a working class lad and, and who else would I vote for? They were the party of the working man. Um and so, you know, that that's exactly what I did. Now it was um probably a couple of years after that. Uh, that I was given a job to install a couple of um, lines into the brand-new uh, campaign HQ of a brand-new party that had just been formed. It was called the SDP. You may well remember them, um, the, the gang of four that spun off from Labour. And they'd set up their new, um, their new HQ. I was in there, and this very lovely man offered me a cup of tea. It was a boiling hot summer day. I said, would you like a cup of tea, young cat? I'd murder one, thank you. And um, that simple act of kindness got that part in my vote for the next 35 years. And it wasn't because I knew anything about their policies, but they treated me nicely. Um, And of course, you know, you know that when a politician (laughs) treats you nicely, he wants your vote, of course. Um, But I I was increasingly uncomfortable, uh, you know, just personally with the way that the unions seem to be leading the Labour Party around by the nose, and to a certain degree still do today, um, I couldn't vote Tory. They were the party of the uh, of, of the rich man, and I was a poor working class worker. Um And so I you know, decided I was going to vote for the SDP. Later, as you know, came the mid-Dems, and I voted mid-Dems for 35 years, not really knowing any detail about their policy, but I knew they weren't labor money, they weren't told. And my defection to UKIP happened when my party's beloved leader, Nick Clegg, challenged Nigel Graff to discuss Europe and debate our membership of the European Union. And I sat down, a big bowl of Christian, a bottle of beer, and I was going to look forward to this marvelous TV debate that was about to come on and watch Nick Clegg uh, give give Farage a a good beating. And in fact, the reverse happened, and uh, the scalp fell away from my eyes, I had a Damascene conversion, and I began to realise, after a lot more research, that the poorest people across the whole of Europe were being made to fight with each other for the lowest-paid jobs in a race to the bottom, where only the rich won, and the poor always lost and paid the price. And that caused me to start voting community. And I'd previously stood only once uh, as a local councillor, as a Lib Dem councillor, that was in 2010. Um, And I'd done that because uh, they say everybody gets into politics over a single issue. Well, I'm a trustee of uh, a local charity now, but that charity used to run uh, lunch clubs for elderly uh, spinsters of the parish. My mm-hmm. mum was one of those uh, elderly spinsters and they did an absolutely marvellous job and they had their funding cut. And I was uh, quite angry about that uh, it, for many of these elderly ladies, but it was the only time twice a week when they um, got out and saw another living soul. So uh, I thought they did a marvellous job and I was uh, I was determined to stand as a councillor and, and restore their funding. To um, so I stood in 2010 as a lived den. They asked me to stand in 2014. 2014. Um, again, because i narrowly really missed getting elected first time out. And it was about that time that, uh, the Farage clegg debate. And, um, I, you know, I couldn't deny the evidence of my own eyes and my own research, um, and I just had to had to um, go review it. So and all of the time in the background i am running my own business, you know, I see evidence there I mean I I'd never really thought, frankly, Scott, that our membership of the EU affected me personally or my family. The EU was something sort of way out of there in Strasbourg, Brussels. Um but it was only when I really began to to see the impact of frankly mass uncontrolled immigration. Um, and see the impact that that was having on the poorest of the country, and I think that that probably went a long way to um, to causing um, the the Brexit vote that happened um, and the result that that, that uh, we got. So uh, you know, for me, I think um, Farage was just one of those leaders that naturally um, not everybody liked him. You know, he's a very marmite uh, flavour chap. Um, I frankly think he's uh, you know he's just a, a a guy that wanted to be a Tory MP that never made it to the Tories and so you know, he's been got on the uh, got on the Brexit um trail and, and um gave himself a political opportunity and he's been a very smooth and uh, uh, suave political operator um but uh, for me you know I'm I'm I I think I joined UKIP probably because he opened my eyes. Um, But, um, you know, he went off, did his own thing. Um, But, you know, he's one of life's, I suppose, uh, well-known leaders. Um, And he's he's done well for himself. Um, I don't want to be another Nigel Farage. I I think I'm um, further to the left than he is politically. But um, as I say, you know, I, I think I've always described myself as, slightly right of centre, even in the Lib Dems, you know, I used describe myself as that. And on my, on my Lib Dem business card, there were six items I said I would always fight for, you know, more police on the streets, world-class education for our children, zero tolerance of you know, um, antisocial behaviour. Um, well, you know, and the things that I've always stood for that were on the back of my Lib Dem business card, they didn't change. When I defected to UKIP, I still had the same philosophy and aims that you know, I had as a lived then, And I know it, it sounds so strange, but, um, you know, it, it, was, it was a strange direction of travel, as people often say to me. But, um, uh, but for me, I, you know, I had to be honest with myself. and I, You know, I can't just go private. Um, you know, I'm a working-class boy that's done okay for himself. You know, I'm, I'm very lucky. I have a great technology company that ticks over on its own and, and pays me a fairly decent salary that um, is completely automated. I mean, you know, I'm a business technology consultant primarily. That's what I do. That's what I've been doing for the last 25, 30 years. Um, So really for me, I think um, I've been lucky and I count my blessings. Um, It means that even now during lockdown, um, I can sit at home, my business ticks away, um, my customers upload their files for me to clean their databases the bits and bobs that you know my, my service does. Um, and you know, I'm very lucky. Um, I uh, I do count my blessings and what I want is for every child in this country to have the opportunity of a terrific education. I was lucky enough to have passed my eleven class, got into a grammar school and then spent the next two years in a children's home where my parents grew up. So it was It was you know the results that I got at school academically, as I said, weren't you know, what I would have hoped for, but um I had two younger brothers to look after, and a mum in the mental hospital at the time um, so it's all of these things I think go to shape your life, to shape your personality, to mold your character um, and I really do I've come from the school of hard knocks. I've had some hard knocks, but I don't, you know, it's not a sob story. You know, it's it's what's made me the guy I am. It's the guy, you know, I'm, right now I'm actually sitting in my car having just received a load of donated food for the local um, sheltered accommodation block opposite my house. Um, and I distribute that food once a week for these the very, very poor, vulnerable and elderly people on the estate where I live. I happen to be chairman of our, Tenets Association so I don't know whether that's because I was a natural leader in the or, or I was the only mug that, that said I'd agree to do it but um, so I've been uh, helping my community uh, ever, well before I ever got into politics um, and I think that um, there are people out there that you know are the natural um, community leaders um, and there may have been a bit of my military experience that, that uh, helped me um, not take a back seat when I saw a problem. Uh, and I think that there are those like our, you know, our terrific police, um, who, you know, they're, these are the guys who run towards danger, you know, mm-hmm. rather than run away from it. Um, and I, I would say that I'm one of life's, um, I will, I will go to where the danger is and try to help others. Um, and it's just a, you know, it's just been, a, it's a natural trait that I have. So, um, whether or not that's something that um, is a result of um, good leadership training that I've received over the years, or it's just, you know, is it nature or is it nurture? The age-old question, isn't it?
0: I'd certainly call it a proactive approach as opposed to a reactive one uh, for sure, Pete. And it goes to show as well that um, leadership comes in so many different uh, forms um, alongside. Um, We talked about, of course, um, the fact that uh, Brexit is on the uh, horizon uh, there, as well as, of course, moving through this current COVID-19 situation. And if we do address the long-term future um, for yourself, uh, for the businesses, and also for UKIP as well, Pete, if you'd like, uh, before we do wrap things up, do give me an idea of what you think the next 12 months will hold. Um, as we move through this situation?
1: Okay, well, for those who haven't embraced technology and the ability to remote work using remote desktop or other features like Microsoft Teams and uh, Zoom and all of those uh, bits of software, um, for those that have not embraced technology or those who are, for example, in simple retail businesses, um, some are going to die. Uh, and I don't think that there is any alternative for some businesses because people just won't feel like going out and mixing and being close to each other and particularly if we have a re- re-emergence of COVID as they're talking about at the moment now um, where you know all eyes are on you know what the, what the figures are going to do. I believe that on VE Day about three weeks ago lots and lots of people went out into the park, had barbecues, mixed socially again than they really uh, shouldn't have been Um and we're now seeing a, a, a resurgence of the numbers of infected people. So um, what the government needs to, needs to uh, deal with it in the way that only the government can. Um, I can't predict the future, but I suspect strongly that those who have embraced the technology um, that is available to them um, are going to survive. And those that either haven't or can't um, are going to suffer. Um, to what degree uh, really only remains to be seen. I suppose it needs back to the, the leadership um, subject. I suppose it needs strong leadership. Whoever you are, whatever your uh, your outlook on life, um, if you're running a small company, a small business. I mean, for example, uh, you know, events management people, um, entertainments, um, pubs, clubs. These are the last people that are going to recover. And so to them, it is going to be tough. And meanwhile, um, you know, we're still allowing um, quite a lot of uncontrolled immigration where we're bringing in more unskilled labour that we don't need, frankly. So that's... And, and, you know, it's not... I mean, I am the grandson of two sets of immigrant grandparents. My wife is India, my daughter's married to Jamaican. It is not about the colour of somebody's skin or the fact that they are foreign. Both sets of grandparents were foreign, and migrated to this country for a, for a better life. But when we allow so many people to come to this country, who have not paid into the system, is it any wonder that the system begins to buckle under the weight? Um, and so, you know, what what I want to see is common sense. Uh, and sadly, um, our politicians seem—I say seem, but seem to me certainly to be reactive rather than proactive, to use the phrase we used a while ago. Um, they're looking at their five-year term in office, and they want to ensure that they you know, come back into office again in year six. Well, that's really, you know, you need more than a five-year plan if you're going to tackle some of the, the long-term inherent um, problems that we face in society, you know, poor housing, not enough housing, Um, you know, failing schools. I've been a school governor off and on for about 35 years um, in one form or another, 1st a parent governor, community governor, um, as a local election, uh, a local authority-appointed governor, um, to primary schools here in Islington, where I live. And, um, you know, I see firsthand, you know, kids coming to school that have not had a good breakfast from very, very poor working-class families. And these... Very few politicians have ever had to push a double buggy into rain because, you know, they can't get their child a place in their local primary school. And mm-hmm. so they have to walk another two kilometres up the road, um, you know, daily, sometimes two or three times a day, because they can only get a place for one child in the morning because there's only half a day's availability uh, for that child. Okay. In go to school in the morning, go back at lunchtime, pick up the youngest one, go back again in the evening and pick up the other one. And its I see that. I've seen that over the years. And it's got worse. And it's not that I under I mean, we've got some brilliant Eastern European teachers in our local uh, schools. Um, they are absolutely first class. They're lovely, lovely people. For goodness sake, my grandfather changed the family name from Moscovich <laughs> to Moswell in 1928. To, to get work so I, I understand what it feels like when when you know people are sort of not it's, it's, there's a nastiness that has gone with some people that have just blamed foreigners for everything i don't I don't mm. blame foreigners for everything what I blame is weak government governments that won't take the long view governments that won't make the brave decisions give us the leadership that we need what they've done is frankly feathered their own nests so I don't, I mean, you know, I'll never ever get elected. That's a stupid, politician in Islington, the heartland of champagne socialists. How could I possibly ever get elected? But it doesn't mean that I'm not going to champion the, you know, the poorest of society who have been neglected by many of our politicians. I live in Islington. We've got 48 councillors. 47 of them are Labour. One is a Green. There's nobody that represents my views on that council. And all the while we have that kind of uh government, I I don't see the solution. Frankly what we need is a I don't know what we need. I I you know I really don't know. What we want what I want to see is honesty in politics and you know, I suppose many people have said that before, whether or not we'll end up seeing such honesty. Uh, frankly my opinion is that you get to the only people being honest about the problems that we face. Um I can't be a green. Some of their their policies are, frankly, um, bat guano crazy, I believe, expression. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for me, what I want is common sense. Let's look after the poorest in society. And that is a job that Labour should have done. And frankly, Labour has let down the working class. I don't believe that they, they really... I don't believe they have the right to call themselves the party of work. I think UKIP has uh, taken that role. Um and as small as UKIP is and as low as it may be in the polls, um, you know, I believe it has a place. It has a place, it has a role, and you know, we'll carry on battling um to you know, to stand up for the you know, the poor, distressed huddled masses. Um, so that's that's my view, and and good strong leadership is is part of that. We need good strong leaders to stand up and be counted, and you know we've got some very very good people. In this field. So um, you know that, sorry that wasn't meant to be a, a political diatribe. It was just you know shooting from the hip and telling you what it's like and being honest.
0: And honesty, of course, is all we can um, ask for, Pete, because as we've said today, and we've very much established honesty, transparency, openness are all very much at the heart of our leadership and hopefully will be for the future. I, Absolutely. I've got to say, it's been incredibly um, informative, Pete, but also an absolute pleasure having you on the uh, the programme today. I've thoroughly enjoyed the uh, the discussion. And Bye-bye. I actually think it would be fantastic to uh, maybe catch up in the next year when we start to see these changes enacted and hopefully um, see um, how things are getting on in that respect, both from a business and um, party perspective.
1: Anytime. I'd be delighted to come back. Thanks so much, Scott, for the
0: invitation. Do take care and stay safe as well in the uh, meantime, Pete, and do keep up the good work in the community as well. Thank you. Bye-bye. That was Pete Muswell. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett. Lord Blunkett is an active member of the House of Lords, a former Labour MP and Secretary of State, and the Chairman of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Despite being blind from birth, Lord Blunkett is one of the most prominent politicians of his generation, having held a number of senior positions in Tony Blair's Cabinet and serving as the MP for his Sheffield, Brightside and Hillsborough constituency for 28 years. He was first elevated to the House of Lords back in August of 2015 as Baron Blunkett of Brightside and Hillsborough. And I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Matthew enjoyed speaking
2: with him. That's coming up next. Lord Blunkett, welcome.
3: Thank you very much. It's very good to be with you.
2: Um, Well, of course, uh, nothing is being said uh, at the moment other than COVID-19, which uh, we must touch on.